Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Ariel Benavidez. Ariel is a breathwork facilitator. This guy is so knowledgeable. He knows so much about the breath and how it affects every part of our lives. Such a fun episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Check me out on Instagram at NewerKidWai. We're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everyone. My guest this week, Ariel Benavidez. All right, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with Ariel Benavidez. Ariel, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Ah, uh, yeah, man, this is great. Uh, you're 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 into breath work, which is honestly one of my uh, favorite kind of. I guess you can call it tools or exercises. I don't know what the the proper word would be, but uh, honestly, it's something. Um, I think I've been doing probably for a few years now and it's really uh, mm. really helped with my kind of personal growth and just grounding and kind of like looking inside myself a little bit. Uh, yeah, I want to hear a little bit about how you got into this whole breath work, uh, being a, becoming a facilitator and uh, just mm. like getting into the practice as a whole. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So uh, breath work started for me a few years ago. I was just dealing with some anxiety and looked up you know how to deal with anxiety on google trusty google and these breathing techniques came up that were really simple uh, like the four seven eight inhale for four hold for seven exhale slowly for eight so i was like the first real kind of structured breath work i've ever come across that i was doing consciously um breath work actually really took off for me when i was at a friend's cottage and this is a fun story um we were partying all night, woke up in the morning. It was a beautiful day in the middle of December. And a friend and I decided to take the kayaks out and we take the kayaks out into the lake and it's like flat. Like there's no wind, there's no nothing, very calm waters. We kind of go out and the lake that we were on, it's one of those lakes that's very shallow for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go pretty far out for the water to actually get deeper. So we're probably about like hundred, 150 meters out into the water. And we're just like watching the sunrise and it was like this beautiful moment. And then for some brilliant reason, we look at each other and come up with the idea of jousting. We just thought it would be so much, it'd be hilarious for us and for the people on shore who were watching us, like, let's just pretend to joust. So we paddle in opposite directions, face each other and start paddling towards each other. And then we hold up the paddles as if it's like the lance <laughs> and the intention we're like we weren't actually going to joust we were supposed to move the joust uh, the lance away at the last second but mine ended up getting caught on his sweater and because of the momentum of us continuing to pass each other it forced my torso to twist and my uh, torso twisting dumped me into the lake oh, okay. and the water was ice cold mind you it's middle of december right and i'm like fully dressed luckily i, w I didn't have my boots on but i have my sweater my jacket my 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 uh pajama pants on and so i fall into the water and luckily i'm familiar with what to do so i knew like okay just i had to sink to the bottom hold my breath i pushed off the bottom and i was like the first thing i got to do is flip the kayak back over so mm -hmm. i flipped the kayak back upright but because of all the weight i had to sink back down to the bottom again there's it just wasn't possible for me to float with all the clothes i was wearing water was about eight feet deep. So I'm like just under the surface. Mm. And so I would sink to the bottom, push off the bottom again. And the second time I just kind of like plopped myself on top of the kayak. And then I swing my legs in and then I get my legs back into the kayak. And then I felt okay. I was like, okay, like you're good. Just like stay calm. You know, it's about a hundred meters back to shore to start paddling. But what it seems that happened, I don't know if I flipped the kayak too fast but I know my clothes added water to it. So the kayak on the inside was now filling up with water mm. and that just caused the whole kayak to become tipsy topsy and just like was falling all over the place. And once again, I fall into the lake and that's when I started to panic. That, that's when I started to get scared. So this time I didn't even flip the kayak over. I just jumped onto the 
bottom side of the kayak mm-hmm. and started like doggy paddling trying to get back to shore Jesus, yeah. and i'm like i'm like this is what you got to do just just keep doing it just keep going and then out of nowhere i hear this intense sound it was like i have no clue what's happening but i quickly realized my weight on top of the kayak is forcing water into the kayak and so that sound is the air being pushed out of the kayak okay and then the kayak starts to sink and that's when i looked to my friend who was with me and that's when i really started to panic and i just remember looking at him making eye contact and i just let out this little whimper of like help me like i i truly didn't know what to do in that moment full-on fear set in complete panic mode and all of a sudden there's like this this switch that happened and it was this moment of complete clarity that all it said was get out of the water now or die and so in that moment i was sinking to the bottom again so when i popped back up i told him get the paddle i'm abandoning the kayak i gotta get the hell out of here right now and so i start doing this like it's like a moonwalk because i would like sink to the bottom And then I would push off the ground in a forward direction, come up for a breath of air and then sink back to the bottom and then push off the ground and get a little bit of air. And so I had to do this until finally the water was below neck level. And then I just started getting to this like really intense um, machine breathing. It was very mechanical. It was just deep in, deep out. And that just happened naturally? It was, yeah, I was just like in in this whole other state. There was no more thoughts. It was really Mm -hmm. just get out of the water. And so this, this intense breathing kind of took over and I'm just like treading out of the water and the whole way, the whole hundred meters, I finally get out of the water and my friends are there and they're like offering me towels and everything. But I was in this state where like, I just needed a moment. They're like, you know, they were panicking too. They're like, oh my God, are you okay? What do you need? So on and so forth. I'm like, guys, just just stop. Like, I just, I need quiet right now. I just need to be left alone right now. So I just kind of like hunched over and kind of caught my breath. And then I slowly started like taking off my clothes. And in the process of taking off my clothes, I noticed uh, my feet were all cut up. And what it was is because there's like shells and rocks near Mm -hmm. the shore, but I was so cold that I didn't feel any of that pressure. So I was putting my full body weight on these rocks and these shells. So my feet were bleeding, uh, not terribly, you know, nothing to be concerned of, but there was blood, (laughs) blood all over my feet. I strip out of the clothes, make my way back into the cottage, get a towel. I started drying myself off. And the guy that I was with, I don't know how he did it, but he basically grabbed my kayak with one hand and paddled his kayak with the other hand and dragged the kayak from wherever I left it back to like knee deep water. And then he jumped out of his kayak and just like dragged both of the kayaks out of the water. And so I was like in the state of like complete calm, like just very quiet, very still. People were a little bit concerned because I had like no reaction. Mm. But as soon as the guy who was in the water with me, when he came out, we made eye contact And I can't even explain to you the amount of euphoria that we both exploded with. We just started howling. We were just like, oh, my God, that was so crazy. And we're just like so celebratory. We're like hugging each other. Like, that was so wild. And we're just like yelling and like laughing our asses off. And it was just like the, you know, the grand old time that we just had. And it was such a powerful experience in that moment. And that feeling of euphoria, it was tactile. Like I, could, I, I felt it. I could feel it in my body. It wasn't just a thought. It was a full body experience that I was having. And it lasted for a good few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would make the joke because I was like so, uh, I felt very primal. I felt very connected to the resources of my body that I would make the joke that like, if anyone were to try to break into the cottage right now, it would be a terrible day for them. Cause I just felt so on point that my reflexes and my ability to react, it just wouldn't be able to be matched. That was kind of the joke that I would make. Um, Now, fast forward a year, I go into my first breathwork experience at the studio that I used to work at elemental wellness and um, go into the breath work, lay down, go through the whole experience. And halfway through the experience, when I'm really starting to peak in this breath work experience, I started feeling those same feelings of euphoria. 
It was the exact same tactile, full body sensations that I felt in the lake when I came out of the lake. And so I made this interesting, you know, realization, that connection that, oh my goodness, it's the exact same feeling. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same feeling. And, and in one scenario, I'm laying down comfortably with a blanket and a pillow and I'm in a warm room. And the other one was very much a near death experience. So like I was, I truly felt I was going to die if I didn't get out of there. I would have died if I didn't get out of there. And so it was just that interesting contrast that I'm getting the same feelings of euphoria and bliss without any of the risks that were involved in that first experience of falling into the lake. Mm -hmm. And so that's when something opened up in me and I was like, this is powerful. There's, there's something powerful here. And I just felt that calling that like, I have to learn more about this and I have to uh, provide this for other people. And so from there, that's when I kind of started diving into it a little bit more. Um, it was the owner of the studio who would, um, who led that facilitation. And then he started teaching other people to facilitate. So since I worked at the studio, I was one of the first ones there. And so I joined, um, it's called Elemental Rhythm is the breathwork that I do and the breathwork that he facilitates. And yeah, ever since then, I've just been teaching people online, in person, as much as possible, one-on-one, whatever's being called for people at that time. Yeah, dude, that's such an amazing story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, honestly, I and I love that you said el- elemental rhythm. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great uh, name for it. And honestly, the one thing I really love about that story too, and like that name, elemental rhythm, it's like there is something natural in like just how these like our breath changes the when when like different shit happens to us. Like when you said when you started running back to the shore, all mm-hmm. of a sudden this like deep mechanical breathing came up in you. Mm-hmm. that's like uh, it's funny I felt that kind of stuff before like not even not in like such an extreme case as yours but like where I'm out in the real cold and all of a sudden like I want to get home and I like all of a sudden this like natural breathing just comes in which is just deep but it comes on to you naturally and then you mm-hmm. get into that zone where you're not thinking at all and you're just completely in the elements it's uh that's like a, it's a beautiful thing like just to feel it and see feel the power in you like that's when you kind of like can switch and kind of go like, okay, this is, this is powerful. Like there, there's something different here. And I can understand how like having such an like extreme experience like that can make you go like, all right, this is my new uh, direction in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, I feel like that's, what's so powerful about the flow state. And that's what I like to feel that I was in when I was coming out of that water, because to me, that flow state, it's, a frictionless state with a focus and a goal in mind. And Mm -hmm. so I feel when I'm doing other things, say like day-to-day things, you know, I may be washing the dishes, but I'm somewhere else mentally, Mm -hmm. or I may be typing an article up, but I'm somewhere else mentally. I'm thinking about what I got to do next, but anyone who does any sort of extreme sports, snowboarding, skiing, mountain biking, um, they all talk about this experience of flow. It's because when you're in it, you have, no choice but to be in it and you have to be in it 100% because the moment you drop down to 99% you're putting your life at risk Mm. and so that's what that flow state is all about it's it removes all the uh superfluous thoughts and you just hone in on that one thing what is that what is that I'm focusing on right now and you're just you're in it and you lose yourself in it and that's what that experience of falling into the lake was and that's what breathwork is like. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hyper focused and like, you're just completely in the moment, like more than you're like ever have been. Um, I, I guess I kind of get those states in calm when I'm on stage, like in comedy every once in a while, mm-hmm. like I feel it when like all of a sudden I'm completely in the moment and I can feel my whole self and the whole audience. And like, I can just feel the energy coming off the audience. And just because of that, you're in that hyper focused just state and everything just kind of like it is flow like flow is such a beautiful word for it because like mm-hmm. everything just comes so naturally and just uh goes away so naturally it, it is such a beautiful state and like um, you're right breath work is some way like a way you can kind of like facilitate those states again like but safely right 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what I always like to talk about regarding breath work is um, I like to compare it to a high intensity workout. It has the same sort of things that you want to be aware of. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you're hungover and you didn't sleep well and you didn't you, you haven't been eating well and then you go into a high intensity workout, chances are you're not going to be able to max out the experience and you're increasing the risks of, um, of injuring yourself physically in some shape or form. Um, I've come to see breath work the same way that it's a very powerful experience. It is safe in almost every regard, but you still have to treat it with a little bit of respect in that sense. And I guess treating yourself with a little bit of respect because you want to make sure you're in a good, uh, space physically, emotionally, mentally, and be ready for what breathwork is going to show you because breathwork can reveal a lot of things to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like breathwork is kind of like blowing up everywhere right now. Everyone's hearing about breathwork and how powerful of an experience it, it can be. And it, it is, it really is. It's really that powerful. Um, but it's also important to recognize that um, it's, it's not a one hit wonder. It's not going to cure anything. The way my experience with breathwork has developed is that it reveals to you where the work needs to be done, mm. but it doesn't do any of it for you. Yeah. And so it's about taking those realizations and processing them and integrating them into your lives. And so why it's important to be in a good space to do this in is because if you have some, you know, childhood trauma that you haven't unpacked, and then you go into breath work, you're hungover, you're tired, you're already not feeling well. And then you start breathing in a way that brings this trauma to life. Mm. You're, you're, you're putting yourself at a handicap to deal with something that you should be at full strength to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of been like my newest learning within breath work. I just always felt like do it whenever you want, whenever you want, like whenever you're ready, just dive into it. But now it's kind of like, no, just make sure you're ready. Cause mm. some stuff's going to come up that you're not ready for, or not that you're not ready for, but you have to be, you have to be okay with letting go of control. Cause these things are going to come up and you have to be ready to process them while they're there. It's yeah. And honestly, the way you describe that reminds me a lot of psychedelics. Like you have Mm. to like when you're in a state like that, you need some strength to kind of get through it because like they these can be very demanding states when you bring up trauma, especially. Mm. And uh, yeah, you need the strength to kind of deal with it. And um, yeah, like like you said, letting go of control, like yeah, when, when like a trauma comes up, you have to kind of let go of control and just let it be because that's the only way you're going to process it. Because a lot of us, when like something like that comes up, we want to resist it right away because it just feels like it doesn't feel good. Like you just want to yeah. get rid of that shit. Like I, I that's what I want to do, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so that's why I would even I would replace the word strength because I feel people associate strength with a force or will or Mm -hmm. determination Mm -hmm. i I would replace the word strength with stamina because it's how long can you surrender for Mm -hmm. and how deeply can you let go and so it's that stamina of like how long can i be in this state of complete surrender yeah and so it it can be strength as well but i feel stamina is a more accurate um, representation of what that psychedelic and, and breathwork state as well. It's about that stamina. And so that's why I was talking about having good sleep and good nutrition before going into these states. You want to make sure your stamina bar is full so you could go as deep as you possibly can and get the most value out of the experience. That's so true. And like, yeah, you like you said, strength, strength has like a kind of like a connection with will. So like when you have, like when people think strength, they might be like, I'm going to will my way through this experience, yeah, which is yeah. the exact opposite of like uh, relinquishing control. <laughs> yeah. It's this idea that you're influencing the experience. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you've done psychedelics, you know, you're not influencing anything. You're just completely absorbed in it. You're along for the ride at that point. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. All right. Let's, uh, I want to talk about different types of breath work. So, uh, Mm. what do you usually like, um, what kind of breath work do you usually work with? Mm -hmm. So the, I like to break breath work pretty much into two categories for simplification. So there's, um, high volume breath work and low volume breath work. 
So the elemental rhythm experience that uh, I do, and when people hear about breath work in general, it tends to be about this high volume breath work. So this is taking in those huge breaths of air in very short periods of times. It's a, uh, there's a few terms for it. It could be called a controlled hyperventilation. Okay. Uh, some people call it hyperventilation with purpose because you're doing it with an intention. Mm-hmm. Um, some people call it super ventilation. So those are, those are a few of the terms that you'll see kind of popping around regarding this high volume breath work. That's all similar to that high intensity workout. It's all about uh, eliciting an altered state of consciousness. It kind of, in a sense, mimics a near-death experience on a very small dose, because even though you're breathing in lots of air, you're actually reducing the amount of oxygen that gets to your brain. And mm-hmm. so since your, oxi- since your brain is now getting less oxygen, it has to prioritize and it has to ration. And so it decides which parts of the brain gets oxygen and which one doesn't. And um, the way the brain works is uh, last one in, first one out. So what that means is that the prefrontal cortex is the newest development of the human brain. And so whenever we start going into these survival scenarios where we got to pick and choose where to send energy, the prefrontal cortex of the brain is the first place to lose energy. And so that's our forward thinking. That's the the prefrontal cortex is how we make our plans. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we see the world. And so when you start dimming the lights in the prefrontal cortex, it actually allows other parts of the brains to be a little bit more active and they start talking to each other a little bit more. And so this is where a lot of the realizations come through in breathwork. A lot of the insights come through in breathwork because the part of you that says that the world is this way and that things operate this way and people are this way starts to quiet down. Mm. And it allows you to now get a broader perspective of what reality actually is and what reality is actually capable of and the truths about our own behavior and our own choices. And so that could be powerful and overwhelming and emotional at times. Mm-hmm. So that would be the high volume breath work. That's what's drawing a lot of people towards breath work. That's what drew me into breath work. Um, but now where my focus is more is in low volume breath work and low volume breath work is all about training the body to be able to function more effectively with less oxygen. And so this is a space where you're actually able to train your mind and your emotions and your body to go into these states of discomfort of more so physical discomfort and sitting with it. And so uh, as a generalization, basically what you're doing is you're exhaling more than you're inhaling. And so you're constantly working at a deficit. You're breathing less and less. And this creates this state of discomfort because the chemical of carbon dioxide starts to build up in your body And that's the chemical that tells you to breathe. It's like, hey, you got to get this stuff out of you. People are under the impression that breathing is, hey, you got to get this stuff into you. But it's actually the trigger is get this stuff out, get this carbon dioxide out because it's it's toxic to us. But at the same time, the more carbon dioxide we're able to tolerate within our body, the healthier we are on an overall scale. Mentally, emotionally, physically, we become more stable, we become more resilient to illness, to stress. And so as powerful as those high volume experiences are, I've been coming to see that this low volume breath work is where people can gain practical long-term value on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Because you're saying like it actually makes them more resilient. Yes, yes, literally, because there's our sensors in our body that kind of like measure how much CO2 there is. Mm -hmm. And that's what forces us to breathe. So when you force yourself to hold on to a little bit more CO2, those sensors become a little bit more desensitized. It's like, okay, we just got to get used to this is the new normal state for our body. And so let's just allow this carbon dioxide to flow. And the reason why this is beneficial is carbon dioxide is what allows for oxygen to get to the muscles and to the tendons and the tissues and the brain. Um, The visual I always like to bring to mind is uh, there's that Indiana Jones movie. I can't remember which one it is, but it's where he's about to take the little monument and he's like switching it 
with a little bag of dirt. Have yeah. you seen that? Yeah. Okay. So that exchange of Indiana Jones doing that with the bag, keeping that perfect balance, that's exactly how oxygen and CO2 works in the body. And so when we breathe in, we're breathing in oxygen and uh, the oxygen is picked up by our red blood cells. Mm-hmm. But for the red blood cell to let go of the oxygen, to let it go into our muscles, it must be replaced with carbon dioxide. And so this Indiana Jones transaction of the monument and the bag of dirt is happening millions and millions of times throughout the entire body. And so therefore, the more CO2 you can have, the more CO2 you can handle in your body, the more of those transactions take place, which means you're actually getting in more oxygen into your brain and into your muscles. Mm. And the contradictory fact to this is you have to be breathing less to do this because the less you breathe, the more CO2 builds up in the body. That's, that's cool. All right. That's really cool. (laughs) I never knew that. Um, And what kind of breathing exercises do you do to uh, like increase the CO2 in your body? Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. Um, a lot of free divers will be familiar with this. Um, it's called the CO2 table. So carbon dioxide table. And basically, the traditional table takes you about 20 minutes to run through. And essentially, what it is you would do is you would take a deep breath, fill your lungs as much as you can, you hold your breath and you start a timer. And you see how long you can hold your breath for After that, what you do is you calculate what 80% of that number is. So for simple math, let's say you can hold your breath for 100 seconds, 80% of that would be 80 seconds. So now what you do with that time is you hold your breath for 80 seconds. And after those 80 seconds, you start a two-minute timer. And in that two-minute timer, you just breathe normally. After that two-minute timer, you hold your breath for another 80 seconds. And after that 80 seconds, you start a timer for one minute and 45 seconds. And then you hold your breath again for 80 seconds. And then you start a timer for a minute and 30 seconds. And so basically each time what you're doing is you're shortening the rest period between breath holds. So the breath hold stays the same, but now you're reducing how much rest time you have in between that. Mm -hmm. And you eventually get down to the point where you only have about 30 seconds between breath holds and that's where you're forcing your body to hold onto the co2 for 80 seconds every minute or so and it just starts to build that tolerance within the body so that's pretty much the most uh well-known strategy there are a few variations that make it a little bit intense you could do it in 10 minutes but if you haven't done it before it's just best to go classic start with the co2 table takes about 20 minutes and for real changes to take place it's something it's like exercise it's something you got to do on a regular basis ideally every day in the morning before putting any food into your system is the best way to go Um, it just provides that um that consistent uh variables of going into that experience that's interesting and you do like now that you've practiced this for a while like you do feel like it does give you more energy Yeah. Yeah. So what it is, what's interesting is that once you start getting to the last few breath holds, even though my mouth is closed and my nose is plugged, I feel my lungs leaking a little bit. Like there's just so much of a buildup that it kind of like bubbles up and it's coming out and it starts to like fill my cheeks and starts to fill my nasal cavities (laughs) because that, that pressure is so great that the body's like, we have to get this out. And so that's, that's the physical sensation for me that I like, okay, I'm pushing my body to my limits because even though I'm doing my physical best to not let any air out, my lungs are still letting some of it, relieving some of that pressure and Mm -hmm. uh, building up that pressure in my mouth. Um, Now, regarding what you said about the benefits. Yeah. It's interesting because since I started doing it, since I started learning about breath work and more so about the low volume breath work, um, I can't help but notice other people's breathing. It's just, it just happens now. I'll just like be hanging out with someone and it's one of the things I tune into. And there's just such this interesting correlation that from how I see someone's breathing, I can tell if they're in a state of stress. 
I can tell if they're emotionally dysregulated in that moment. Like it, it's so interesting, you know, someone could be breathing perfectly fine. And then another person might mention, let's say their ex-partner that ended badly, a relationship that ended. And then suddenly their breathing shifts and they start breathing a little bit more stressful. And I could see that and be like, oh, okay, that bothers them a little bit there's still some emotional residue from that experience that they had and it's coming up and it's coming up through their breath. But yeah, I feel like to answer your question more directly. Yeah. The benefits are there and the science supports it. And you do this consistently. You will just suddenly feel not suddenly, but over time you will feel an improvement in your overall health. Like the, the big scientist, the big doctor would be Dr. Butego. He's the one who did, he's a Russian doctor. He did all the studies on the breath. And basically he created this chart that would show what a healthy person breathes between about 12 and 15 breaths per minute. Um, and what's interesting is that he was able to categorize different illnesses and diseases, whether it was cancer or the flu or whatever it was. And what he was able to show is that, you know, when you have the flu, you're breathing 15 to 20 breaths a minute. Oh, and so it's this interesting factor that the more sick you got, the more breaths you're breathing per minute. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea that you would think, we think that breathing more is better. Just get as much oxygen as you can. Yeah. But that's not how breathing works. Breathing less is how you actually get more. And so that's why you'll see the healthiest people breathe less. And uh, the easiest example to show that is, you know, if you and Usain Bolt were in the airport together and you both decided to race to the terminal, who's going to be huffing and puffing at the end of that? Yeah, yeah. Right? It's just an efficient use of the oxygen that we're able to do. And so the more, the higher tolerance of CO2 you have, the more efficient you become with oxygen. So the more energy, the more strength, the more mental power you will have because less energy is now being used to gather energy. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. I noticed, uh, I noticed when I'm working out all the time and eating healthy, my breath is a lot slower and, uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm taking less, less breaths, like just in regular life. And mm-hmm. I noticed like, uh, also how you were saying, like, you can tell when people shifts shift in their breathing. Like I used to play a lot of poker and that was like one of my big tells. Like I could tell when somebody starts shallowy, like breathing very shallowy, yeah. shallowy. Am I saying that right? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And, like I, I could tell when they were doing that and you could tell that's like a stress response. And that was always mm-hmm. like a big tell that I could pick up on, but, um, it is true. And like, uh, Cause you're saying like the uh, less breaths are actually pretty good for you. Like um, mm-hmm. I remember when I started noticing, uh, hearing about nose breathing, like breathe through your nose, like most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's like something like, it must've been years ago when I first heard this, but I did start like going, like just focusing and like making sure like I'm breathing deep into my diaphragm, breathing from my nose and taking deep breaths. And it took mm-hmm. a while, but after a while, just by consciously like focusing on that over time, I started just doing it naturally. And I started mm-hmm. breathing through my nose naturally. And, mm-hmm. and I also felt like a shift in my energy. Like it could have been from other stuff maybe, but like, mm-hmm. I, I do feel like just doing that. I've uh, I'm getting deeper breaths. And, Mm -hmm. um, I just feel more energetic all the time. Like, uh, uh, what do you think of that? Yeah. What I feel is that what people are starting to realize and what scientists is starting to show, which has always been there is that you can't truly isolate anything. Mm -hmm. You just can't, something is always going to be in an environment and changing one thing is going to have a domino effect on everything. Mm -hmm. So you simply changing your breathing into your nose first thing I'd like to say is our chest is connected with our mouth. So when you breathe through your mouth, it's more natural to breathe into your chest and breathing into the chest is that fight or flight situation. That's like you're pumping yourself up because you got to fight a threat or you're going to run away from a threat. That's what chest breathing is all about. When you breathe through the nose, it's more natural to breathe into the diaphragm and breathing into the diaphragm is associated with that feeling of rest and relaxation. Uh, You feel safe. And so you allow your body to settle instead of putting energy to the muscles to fight or run away. You put energy towards the organs 
Mm-hmm. So you could heal, you could pro- digest your food, you could think clear. Mm-hmm. And so it's that simple mechanism, you by simply changing to nose breathing, yeah, of course, you're going to start to feel better, because you're relieving um, your the energy that you would be sending to the muscles by mouth breathing is now being sent to different organs of the body. So you could focus on other tasks more effectively. Yeah, that's sick. All right, cool. All right, I'll get some, uh, <laughs> some nose breathers in the house here. <laughs> yeah, and one thing I'd actually love to share too, just a, like a practical tip uh, for anyone who has anxiety, um, panic attacks, uh, I, it, it won't be easy in the moment, but I promise you the best thing you could do for yourself in those states is force yourself to breathe through the nose. Mm-hmm. You know, when um, it's, it's, it's so contradictory because when we, someone we care about and they're in a state of panic, they start like, <sighs> they start like freaking out. What do we say? We say, slow down your breath, slow down your breath. But when you're in this kind of mouth breathing cycle, yes. mouth breathing kind of forces you to keep mouth breathing and you get into this state where you feel like you can't breathe. And the reason it feels like you can't breathe is because you're getting rid of so much CO2 that that exchange that I explained earlier, the Indiana Jones exchange can't happen. It's not happening as often, I should say. And so you actually are getting less oxygen to the brain and to the body. And so it just makes you feel like I got to breathe more because I got to get more oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. It's the opposite. And so telling someone to slow down their breath, it's very difficult for them to do that because they're in this state of uh, they're in this cycle of mouth breathing. So a more effective thing to help them do is, hey, switch to your nose, breathe through your nose, breathe as much as you want, but breathe through your nose. Mm-hmm. And simply by switching from the mouth to the nose, it's automatically going to um, slow down how much oxygen they're actually taking in. And then from there, they'll naturally be, be relaxing their own system because now they'll be breathing into the diaphragm more. And that's going to trigger this chemical release within the body that says, hey, you're safe now. You could calm down. Mm-hmm. Let's reorganize. Let's restabilize. Let's get back to that state of homeostasis. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great, great advice. Um, I, I agree when you're in like a really bad anxiety attack, panic attack, it can be difficult. But like when you're in like a milder like anxiety or something, those are that's very powerful. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, I like I used to just do that, like just before going on stage, if I'm getting like stage fright, like if that starts creeping up on me, it's just like, all right, switch to some nose breathing. And it really just like it can calm after your whole system down. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely very powerful, powerful um all right well damn we covered a lot on breathing there um (laughs) i i do wanna well i got a few places i want to go i'm wondering which is the best (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right i actually i do wanna like because i know a lot a lot of uh, what you tell people or talk to people about uh you do talk about like journaling and stuff um Mm -hmm. like uh yeah what what like i I know journaling how powerful it could be and like i've definitely talked to people about it on this podcast before um Mm -hmm. yeah what 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 do you kind of like take from journaling and like how do you like kind of try to tell people to keep a journal for like what reasons and stuff Mm, okay so interesting question um i don't tell people to keep a journal okay i don't um and the reason being is my experience with journaling was something that took place very organically. I was, uh, this was after a a breakup. My first real relationship came to an end after a few years and I was in a really dark place. I was in a really dark place and writing was a way of me slowly crawling out of that hole. And it was this form of expression. And in those first few years of me writing, my writing was very dark. Mm. It was, I would use even the words rancid or putrid. Like there was just like this darkness that I was like releasing out of my body and onto the page. And I was exaggerating these negative thoughts and romanticizing this kind of style of writing of this darkness and, you know, this bleak humanity that I was expressing at that time. And what happened is that through that process of doing this continuously over months and years, my writing started to become a little bit more clear. And so in the beginning, I was this very dark, emotional writing style that wasn't really saying anything other than just expressing this emotion. 
And then it started to polish itself up and get a little bit more clear and was providing real insights of my behavior, of my emotions, of, of how I move through the world, of my perspective of reality. Mm-hmm. And upon reflection of that, I would feel and experience growth. I would learn a lot more. And so um, my writing now, it's very intuitive. I've, I've tried doing um, journal prompts. I've tried buying journals that are structured. I've tried, um, I think a popular one is the, I think it's like five minute journal. I think, I think that's what it's called. It's like a five minute journal where it's like every day you write three things you're grateful for and two things you're going to achieve today. And then at the bottom half of the page is like, did you achieve those things? And so on. None of those ever worked for me ever, ever. (laughs) And so the conclusion that that brought me to is that journaling works for me because it was something that came from deep inside of me. Mm -hmm. No one ever told me to journal. I just felt I was in such a state of desperation that I felt I had to do something and writing was what came up, Mm. you know, and I'm sure for some people it's drawing or it's painting or it's dancing or it's making music. Mm -hmm. But ultimately the conclusion that I came to is that writing is from me. It's not something I do for me. It's something that comes from the deepest parts within me and outwards. Mm -hmm. It's not something I'm trying to bring into me. It's not something I'm trying to integrate Mm -hmm. into me. It's something that just bloomed from this darkness. And because of that, it's my most powerful tool. Like I love breath work. I love the cold exposure, but I have this relationship with writing that I just know it's going to be there for the rest of my life. I never stress about it. I'm never concerned if I miss a day of writing because I feel that there's this connection that's so established that I don't have to worry about making it into a habit. Mm. And so when it comes to journaling for anyone who's interested in trying it, I encourage it, try it, experience it, do the prompts, buy the journals, see what works for you, see what doesn't. But I think ultimately what I would suggest in, in the big picture it's about finding that thing that comes from within. Mm. No, a hundred percent. Dude, I, uh, I agree with that completely. I think that's with any spiritual exercise. Um, you have to like, it has to come from within. Like if, and like, mm-hmm. that's when you know what's natural and that's when it can actually have like huge benefits from you. Like, uh, like you said, I did a lot of journaling the exact same way you did, where it was like mm-hmm. trying all these different stuff that nothing stuck. And like, um, mm-hmm. I would always give up after like a month or two and just like, it'll end up kind of getting tossed in the bin. But until mm-hmm. I found, um, for me, I found the morning pages and this was like uh, a few months ago, but this is just from a book called The Artist's Way. And it was just mm-hmm. like every morning you just wake up and you just write three pages. And it's just like, it, it takes you 10, 15 minutes bam, you write three pages, but this was the first thing I've ever been able to like, just bam, stick to every day. And it just comes out of me so naturally. And uh, like you said, like how you said you got rid of a lot of that darkness in you. For me, when I get like, uh, if there's some anger in me, if there's some like fears or whatever, it always comes Mm -hmm. out in the morning pages. And it, um, yeah, man, it's very healing just to get that out because I'm not once it's on the page, I'm not as angry anymore. You know, it's like, it's kind of like, it really does feel like it's a little bit out of you. And, uh, and then you can really just move on with the rest of your day uh, a little bit and like, just feeling a little bit better. Yeah. A hundred percent. Cause it frees up that mental space. You Mm -hmm. know, I've had this interesting experience and I'm sure other people have had this too, where it's like, Oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got to have this conversation and I got to do make this phone call. And it's just like, you feel like there's so many things bouncing around your head and you're thinking about it all day and it's stressing you out, but you sit down and you actually write a list of what all those things are. And then you look at it and it's like, Oh, it's four things. Yeah. All I got to do, all I got to do is four things. And in total time, it'll probably take me half an hour to make that phone call and have that conversation and send that email and clean up my bedroom. (laughs) And then it's just like, Oh my goodness, I was allowing this to take up so much mental space from my morning into my afternoon until when I actually sat down and 
wrote what these things are. So I feel like in, the mind is always in fluctuation. So these things are constantly bouncing around and pinging here and there, like little notifications going off and reminders. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. Mm-hmm. But when you capture it on a page, it now is, it's pinned down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still. And so you could look at it and see it for what it actually is and realize, yeah, that was taking up a lot of mental space and it does not need to take up that much mental space. Yeah. Especially when with me, when it comes to emotions, like, Mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't put it down or get it out somewhere like it'll just slip into your unconscious and like mm-hmm. especially if it's something like a little bit negative like for me like I would deal with anger once in a while like mm-hmm. you know then you that anger gets into your unconscious and then you just kind of like it's just a part of you and like you're like you're not really seeing how it's expressing yourself in your everyday life but it does express itself and you're less aware of it which is like those are both just like not good recipes, right? <laughs> like it's just like yeah. it's not very good things. So like once you get it out, like it really does like, you know, it's out. It's it's like out of you and you can actually like um, you know, yeah, like you said, your mind's not bouncing around with it anymore, which is like it's gonna be a very powerful thing, I gotta admit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's like it's it's festering if we leave it in our mind. It's brooding. It's like it's like putting the anger in the oven to bake mm. so that way it could just rise and become so much bigger than what it actually is whereas if you just take the moment to write it down on the page you realize oh i'm angry about this little action that this person took and i'm allowing it to ruin my whole day or my whole week sometimes sometimes even the whole month you know it just sets you off in some way but getting it out sooner i've learned it's always better to just release it release mm. it as soon as you as soon as you recognize it you see that it's in you whether it's through journaling, whether it's through dancing, through exercise, any sort of creative expression that you resonate with, channel that and get it out of you. Hell yeah. Um, all right. I want to also talk about your DN, uh, DMT trip before uh, we get sure. out of here. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. let me, uh, let me know. Uh, uh, I want to hear about it, man. Okay, sure. So um, this was last year in May. Uh, so May, 2020. And uh, what the medicine I worked with is 5-M-E-O. So it's a, uh, it's a form of DMT. Mm-hmm. And what I got was a synthetic form of 5-M-E-O. The natural form of 5-M-E-O comes from this frog called Bufo, B-U-F-F-O. Um, and this is a fairly new psychedelic uh, considering, you know, plant medicines as a whole. This 5-M-E-O has no history in any culture of any sort it's not like you know there's no tribes in the world that have ever worked with this medicine Um, i believe this was discovered in the 1950s Um, but basically what it is is this frog the buffo frog when you piss it off it basically secretes this toxin and it's a poisonous It'll, it'll you know, it's very dangerous to get this. But basically what these people would do is they'd hold a, they'd get the frog in a case, put a piece of glass in there, kind of like piss off the frog. The frog will spray its toxins onto the glass and then they let it dry and then they scrape it off and they kind of grind it into a powder and then you smoke it. So um, that's the natural form. 5-MeO is the main active ingredient, but there's a few other psychedelic ingredients in that uh, buffo frog poison. Whereas what I got was just pure 5-MeO. So just to kind of differentiate if if anyone's curious. So um, I've never done DMT. This is the first, and this is the only time I've ever done DMT. And it's funny because now that I'm talking about it, I feel my heart rate increasing because I'm kind of like going back to that moment. Yeah. Uh, my breath is increasing, of course. Um, <laughs> um, so I lay there. I'm handed this pen. It's a vaporizer pen. And I'm instructed to take a pull for about two, three seconds and then exhale. And then take a pull for as long as I possibly can until I see the pen starts flashing. And then hold my breath for as long as I can. So I follow those instructions. I pass the pen to my sitter. And by the time my sitter takes the pen out of my hand, I'm, I'm already gone. I am just no longer um, in my body. And 5-MeO, there's no visual aspects to it, like zero. You're just completely gone. 
And then about 10, 15 minutes later, you come back into your body and you're just washed over with this feeling of complete euphoria. Mm -hmm. And so what I was talking about, that feeling of euphoria with the breath work and, you know, the near-death experience, let's say times 10. Like I was in love with everything just at the greatest scale possible. I remember I had like a little puke bucket and there was a hair in the bucket. And I remember just kind of like leaning over and looking into the bucket and seeing this hair. And I was like, I don't know who you belong to, but I love you. I, I love you. And I was just like sending them so much love. And the people in the room thought it was hilarious because I'm, you know, head in a puke bucket saying, I love you. <laughs> um, didn't end up puking, but definitely felt that nausea feeling. But within half an hour, you're, you're pretty much back to normal. Um, I felt pretty okay. I didn't feel safe driving just because I figured I don't want to risk it. So my partner came and picked me up, did some grocery shopping. We go home and this is where the experience got really intense for me. And I just want to make it very clear that this is not a common thing uh, that happens to people when they do 5-MeO. I know lots of people who have done it and they've never had anything happen like this. But that night when I try to go, uh, I lay in bed and I start drifting off to sleep. It felt like when that transition of being awake to being asleep would take place, instead of me going to sleep, I would actually slip back into that full-blown DMT experience. Mm. And it would scare the hell out of me. I would literally be in my bed, drifting, drifting, drifting. And as soon as I would slip into that DMT state, I would get hit with this wave of all these sensations. And I would like pop up in bed and be like, what just happened? Yeah. What, the heck, what the heck was that? But I'm tired, right? I'm already in bed. So I laid back down again. I try going to sleep. And then as soon as I'm drifting, 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 boom, I'm back in and I pop up at bed. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And this basically goes on the entire night, the entire night. And in this experience, I actually start to get visual representations of what happened in this DMT experience, in this 5-MEO experience for me. And it basically, the visualization, the visual representation of what took place took place in three stages. The first stage, I was in this room that was like a square room. It had black lights in it and this black light graffiti all around me. So it kind of like an alleyway with just a bunch of tags and graffiti and it was all like glowing. And I'm just sitting in this room and there's this sound. And the sound went like, and it just kept building but what was trippy about this sound is that it wasn't something that I was listening to it was a sound I was experiencing with my whole body and so I couldn't just plug my ears to block out the sound mind you this is all in my mind this is something that was happening in me trying to drift into sleep. Mm. And, and this is my interpretation of what happened in those 10, 15 minutes when I was back uh, in the other space. So the sound kept building. And so my only choice, all I could do was relax. And so the sound would get louder and louder and I'd feel my body like physically ugh, like tensing up, like all the muscles like flexing. And I would when I would become cognizant of that, I'll be okay, just like relax, like let go of the tension, let go of the tension. And I would release and let go and let go and I would feel better. But then the sound kept building. <laughs> and then the tension would come back and I would like feel myself tensing up. So like, let it go, let it go, let it go. And I would relax. And then the sound kept building. And this cycle happened a few times until I reached a point where I couldn't relax anymore. And then it was just like, <laughs> done. All of a sudden I'm in this space where everything is completely white. And I remember I'm standing there and I don't see physical things, but I know that there are entities in this space with me. And it feels like there's two rows of them on each side of the pathway that I'm meant to walk down. And they are like raving. They are just so high energy and there's like this celebratory sensation to all of them where like it felt like they're like clapping and like cheering me on. And 
mind you, there's no physical beings. I don't see anything, but this is a sensation that I'm having. Mm-hmm. And as I start walking this pathway, and I just remember this sensation where one of them says to me, congratulations, you're going to die. Like, you made it. Congratulations. And it's like this high energy, like, they're so proud. You know, they're so excited for me that I'm going to die. And so I'm, I'm walking down this pathway. And then suddenly all these entities disappear. And I'm in this space of surrounded by this complete like everything's white like have you seen you know the matrix oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Right, okay so you know exactly so that's yeah, what yeah, the yeah. space is like but the key difference is that this white space is constantly expanding and it's constantly like just getting bigger and bigger somehow even though it's, i'm completely surrounded by it there's a sensation that it's still growing and it just mm. keeps getting bigger and bigger and in that moment, the only way I could describe it is that I was in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. I, I was there. And in the realization of, of that, I felt so ashamed because I felt I've been squandering my life. Mm-hmm. I felt I haven't been living up to the potential that I have within me. And so in my shame in front of what I call God, this white expansion, I tried to hide myself. And so I'm there, I'm butt naked in front of this experience, in this experience. And I, I try to hide myself. So I start to like shrink down and try to cover myself. And, and I start going into a ball. And in that process of me, shrinking down i go from who i am today to a young adult to a teenager to an adolescent to a child to a baby and finally when i'm in that small little ball i I felt myself as a single point of existence it's like i went back to an embryo but even before that it was like this moment of existence before any of the physicality was birthed into it and so when I shrunk down into that ball and I was like the smallest that I could be, that's when I woke up in the room. Hmm. That's, that's how I came out of that 15 minute trip. And um, it's what's wild about it and what I'm grateful for. And um, I actually caught the whole thing on video. And so you see me, in this experience, I'm just laying on a beanbag, right? You don't see any of this, but you see me at the end of my experience start to roll into this ball and I hold myself and I hold myself. And the only way that I could um, express what that feeling was, it honestly felt like a second chance. It felt like I was being planted again. Mm. It's like, we're resetting you back to a seed let's see what you do with it now. Mm. And it was just so mind boggling. So the key things I want to express about that, the two months after that experience were complete hell for me. I was the first month I was in a constant fear of death. I truly felt And it's not that I was thinking it, like my body felt that I truly felt I was going to die. I I remember one clear moment, I was taking a bath and I was reading some Marcus Aurelius things, uh, one of his uh, meditations, because, you know, he likes to meditate on death and the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to read that to calm me down. (laughs) And (laughs) funny enough, right? (laughs) And there was a moment where I, like, I felt like my heart rate increased. I felt my body temperature increase. And I just remember sitting back and I was like, I think it's happening. I think this is it. I think I'm going to die in this bathtub. And so it was moments like that consistently throughout the day for a whole month. And then the second month, I started to kind of come to a little bit more grips that I wasn't going to die. But then the sensation was, oh my gosh, all I think about is dying, I must be going crazy. And so that whole second month, I thought I was losing my mind. And it was, it was very difficult for me. 
And the thing I'm grateful for is the people that I shared this experience with, they were very strong pillars of reality for me. They helped keep me grounded. They helped me process and integrate this experience and have these difficult conversations. I mean, to express to you how real the sensation of I was going to die was, is I wrote letters to all of my family members because I was like, there is stuff I have to say to these people and I will not be okay dying knowing that I didn't say these things. Mm. So I wrote a letter for my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, put them all in the mail and just sent them out. Cause I was like, I have to get this off my chest. Oh shit. Yeah. So there's like a lot of these experiences. So I want to give that full spectrum. Like it was, it was powerful. It was beautiful. I learned a lot, but it was two months of hell for me. Mm. Now, like I said, this was very unique. Everyone else I've ever spoken to about this experience, they've never had this. They, they've done the experience and the next day they're back at it. They could go to work. They could do whatever they need to do. You know, you, you take the day to rest and integrate and process. But um, I felt debilitated. I, I honestly felt like my ego was so crushed that it no longer knew what was safe and what wasn't. And so I, 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 the way I interpret it now is that I re-entered this state of recalibration. I had to relearn what's a threat and what isn't. And so it's just, just this interesting process of that. And the last thing I'll share is the greatest value I gained from this experience was this better and healthier relationship with my ego. So one of the quote unquote dreams that I had the night after the experience is I remember being in my apartment, no furniture, just the apartment. And there's this big black entity with these big glowing eyes, white eyes, and this huge white smile. And the only way I could interpret it is that that was my repressed ego. I've been on this healing journey for a while. And all I've been trying to do is shut down my ego. I tried to like put it in a box to compartmentalize it, to not acknowledge its existence. And what I've learned is that the ego is so sly Mm -hmm. and the ego demands to be heard. And so by me trying so hard to ignore my ego, the fact that I wouldn't acknowledge it as it is, uh, I like to use the visual as that I would trap my ego in the basement And it would slip out the window and parade as intuition on my front lawn. And so then I I would, for so many years, I would have this struggle. Like, is this what I truly want? Is this my intuition or is this my ego? Is this my intuition or my ego? And I kept getting caught up in this game. And what this experience with the 5-MEO has showed me is that by allowing my ego to express itself and to listen to it earnestly as as a voice that has a say in my life, my ego no longer has this need to pretend to be intuition because it's now being heard and recognized as ego. And so now for me, there's a more clear distinction between what is my ego saying and what is my intuition saying? I love that. And that's just been revolutionary for me. It's been absolutely powerful. I, uh, I could imagine. (laughs) <laughs> Holy shit, dude. That, uh, that sounds like a crazy, uh, crazy, crazy, uh, trip, man. I love that. And, mm-hmm. uh, like that, those are like great realizations that can like really help you out. Then like, I, I know, like, I think there's something with DMT, man, like, cause I've done ayahuasca and I've had it with like the sleep the night after. And like, you have some weird ass freaking <laughs> the shit pop up. <laughs> so yeah. no, I know the thing. All right, dude, uh, Ariel, man, this was so much fun. I got one more question. It's the name of the podcast. So yeah. uh, Ariel, God, yay or nay? Who's asking Ah. <laughs> that's a good question i guess i'm asking <laughs> oh man to give a clear answer yeah man yeah and was did do you think the did the dmt trip change it or were you always kind of on the yeah side i was always on the yeah side from a cognitive point of view the dmt changed it into a sense of embodiment Mm. um god isn't to me god isn't 
a thing or a being it is being Mm. it's an experience everything that's happening is god Mm. and i feel it's difficult to wrap your mind around that and so i feel maybe that's why i felt a lot of resistance towards that growing up in you know uh structured religion i was very resistant to it but yeah to me god is an experience it's not something you talk to it's something you express every moment whether you believe it or not yeah no that's awesome dude uh, all right ariel man thanks so much for doing this uh let my audience know where they can uh, get a hold of you uh anything you want to promote uh yeah please do it now yeah, of course. So you could find me on Instagram. I feel that'll be the best. It's Ari Being, A-R-I-B-E-I-N-G. Pretty much all my stuff is on there. Um, I do classes on Sundays and Wednesdays for breath work if you're interested. And um, yeah, just reach out, chat. If you have any questions about anything at all, I'm totally open to conversations. I do ice dips every Sunday as well. So if anyone wants to come for an ice dip, if they want to try that out, you're more than welcome to, which I know we didn't get a chance to talk about, but <laughs> touched upon it up briefly. Oh, the next um, one, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of stories, man. Lots of stories. So yeah, Instagram, Ari Being. Love to chat. Sick. All right. Thanks, man. I'll toss that in the podcast description. Thanks for doing this, man. All right. Thank you. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. And all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often. Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay! Warning.